Hey folks, it's Doug Thornell. Welcome to The Electables. As always, I am joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Adrian, how you doing? It's been a while. Good morning. I'm doing great. Good morning from the great state of Arkansas, what we call the land of opportunity here. Um, and I got to tell you, this is a good place to be quarantined. There's space. I can go for a run and see maybe five people doing a lot of biking. I mean, it's not it's not so bad. I'm not going to lie. How's your family doing? Everyone's doing great. Everyone's doing great. Good. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Good. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, I mean, um, given the circumstances, I've been holed up at my house and trying to, you know, do dig into work a lot. Um, interesting enough, I, I was uh, telling our guest, who we're going to introduce pretty soon, um, that uh, I, fir- I shot my, uh, produced my first ad uh, in the COVID era uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah, so we, virtu- so we had to virtually direct... Uh, one of our candidates who's running for Congress um, and go through, you know, the whole, obviously it was a bit more of a rudimentary setup than you're used to for a professional ad spot, you know, ad shoot. But that was, uh, that was interesting. It was, um, you know, I, I think that we should do a, we should do a whole episode on campaigning, you know, how you're going to campaign uh, in the COVID area, particularly on advertising and polling. But, you know, so many campaigns, at the presidential level on down are going to have to start adjusting to that and, you know, shooting spots with iPhones or Samsung phones and, you know, having like basic lighting kits that they have to explain to the candidate and their family on how to set up and using a mom or a sister or a brother or a wife or a husband to to frame up the shot. It's, you know, that I think it's going to be, it's going to be coming you know, and if it hasn't already come, I know some, there have been a couple spots that have already been produced, but it was pretty interesting, but otherwise I'm okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. It truly is going to be, it's almost like we're going back to, um, the era, era of snail mail and, um, back to an era where we didn't have to rely so heavily on, uh, you know, interpersonal communications and communications in person. So, Anyway, um, yeah. well, we um, have a very exciting guest on today. Uh, Reed Galen is an independent political strategist. He is one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project. Um, I'm very excited to talk to Reed today. Uh, previously, Reed, when he was a Republican, worked for George Bush, um, Senator John McCain, and Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's been active in the independent and political reform space since he left the GOP in 2016. You can find Reed on Twitter at at Reed Dale. Um, so Reed, welcome to, I'm sorry, Reed Dalen. Um, Reed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, and I hope you're all well. It's good to hear your voices. It's great to have you on, Reed. And in full disclosure, before we get started, I just want to um, disclose that I am also an advisor to the Lincoln Project. Um, it's really, it's a great client to work with, um, especially in the cycle and um, I really think the Lincoln Project and the work that um, that we do, Reed, could make the difference in the outcome of the um, general election. So, Reed, I want to just kick it off to you. Share with our listeners a little bit about the Lincoln Project, its role in utility in 2020, and maybe share some insight in terms of how you and Steve Schmidt and George Conway, John Weaver, some of the other co-founders, how you guys came up with this idea. 
Uh, sure. Well, first and foremost, again, thank you guys for having me. So, um, you know, about, uh, oh gosh, it must be about seven or eight months ago now, last fall, um, uh, Schmidt, as you mentioned, John Weaver and Rick Wilson and I, who's a, another founder of ours, and you, your, your listeners may have seen or heard on, on cable news, Rick uh, is uh, not shy. Um, you know, we're, we're on a call together just to discuss, you know, what it is we could do. You know, we were all uh, either former Republicans or apostate Republicans, uh, all came from a, you know, a wing, which, you know, maybe at the time when, when all of us were opponents, um, you know, in the political wars, uh, might have been considered, you know, one thing or another. But, you know, as history has gone on and we've seen, you know, three plus years of of Trump, um, you know, now seem to be, you know, um, at least human, if nothing else. And, you know, we said, OK, look, we've got to do something uh, to beat Donald Trump in 2020. And so we came up with this idea where we were going to. And this is what I think we've done so far is really take the fight to Trump. And And I think that what We've seen, at least within, you know, the Republican side of things, the, the never Trump side of things is that um, and, and I would say this across the spectrum is a, a real hesitancy, despite Trump's really egregious and terrible behavior since, you know, well, for his whole life, but certainly since he entered the political arena for sure in 2015 to say and do things that no one else would say and do. And, and everyone in our business has, you know, we, we always thought that even if you were in a tough campaign, there were some lines you didn't cross. And. And Trump just came through with a giant eraser and got rid of all of those. And so we decided, look, you know, the only way you put out an oil fire is to blow it up. And so, you know, we're not going to we're not going to pull any punches on this guy. Um, you know, we found uh, through a lot of research that we've seen that, you know, he is absolutely uh, you know, you can absolutely move numbers when you discuss who he you know, what he has done as president from a policy perspective. And so, you know, we started the Lincoln Project in in, 20, in December 2019. To really do one very narrow thing, which is to defeat Donald Trump by finding that somewhere between one and four percent of Republican and independent voters in these target states like Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, who we believe um, have moved off of Trump. Maybe they voted for him in 2016 because they just simply couldn't vote for Secretary Clinton. You know, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, maybe they voted for a Democratic member of the Senate or the House in 2018, and they're out on an island now. They don't want to vote for Trump. They don't know if they're going to vote for Joe Biden. Um, but, you know, they are out there and they're unhappy with the way things have gone. And, you know, if, if you know, having won Michigan by 11,000 votes in 2016, if we move one percent of Republicans or independents off of Trump, either just to stay home because they're so disgusted with him or to go to like a vice president Biden, the Democratic nominee, you know, Trump doesn't just lose. He loses in a landslide. And so that's really been the focus of what we're looking at and really trying to determine on a couple of fronts. One, what is going to literally make Donald Trump personally nuts, uh, simply because he is a president who actually watches television and looks at Twitter. Most leaders of the free world have many more important things to be doing, but apparently he does not. Um, and then, as I said, really utilizing what we're seeing at the state level, where I think we're seeing an increase, a, a spike even in, in Republicans who are moving off of him as far as his handling of the coronavirus, ep uh, coronavirus epidemic to really say this guy was always unfit for office and, you know, your vote for him in, in the least offensive way possible is now coming back to bite us. And, you know, it's time for him to go. And then just, you know, I don't want to put this aside, but also we are looking at um, a number of targeted U.S. Senate races and U.S. House races in the Senate, you know, Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Maine, North Carolina, and maybe Iowa, uh, where these folks have really been 
you know, the, the fellow travelers with Donald Trump have totally abdicated their oaths of office, have totally abdicated whatever, you know, authority uh, and prestige came from being a U.S. senator just to sort of salute and march forward to whatever okay. Trump said because they were afraid of a mean tweet. So we're going to be busy this year, um, but, you know, we have a clear mission. We've been just very excited by the organic response so far. More than 100,000 people have signed up uh, to join us and more every day. And so, you know, I think as we get into uh, the electioneering piece of this, which is obviously thrown into, you know, off kilter, as you guys were talking about at the top, um, you know, I think that we will be in there doing the things that other folks need to be doing, uh, who maybe they can't do it. Uh, but certainly we're not going to, you know, the gloves have come off and they're not going back on until November 4th. Hey, Reed, uh, first of all, thanks again for joining us. And uh, I have a lot of respect for, you know, for you and for Steve Schmidt and Conway and a lot of these, um, you know, former Republicans or maybe current Republicans, but who are disenchanted with the president for taking this public stance because you, me and Adrian, we've been in politics for a while, you know, to leave your party or go on the other side or to sort of or to stand up to a president within your party, that is really hard to do, both professionally and personally. You put friendships at risk. You put your career at risk. You do a lot of things, you know, that um, uh, in order to stand up for what you believe in. And um, you really, it's rare that you see this type of uh, movement um, in politics. I mean, even if you didn't like George W. Bush and you were a Republican, you didn't do, you know, you, it, it, it was different, right? If you, even if you different, it, 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 even if you were a Democrat and you were, you know, didn't necessarily love Barack Obama, you know, you didn't, you, you didn't pull away. But with Trump, it's so different. It's about a, you know, it's about a character issue, a values issue. And I think it's just, it speaks to your character and it speaks to the character of the people that you are uh, doing this fight with that you guys have had the guts and courage to do this because we all know just how personal politics is in our lives, our friendships, our career, etc. So anyway, that's my. Uh, I just wanted to say that because uh, again, I have a ton of respect for, for the, the fact, fact that you guys and, have been and, able and to do this. And that's very kind of you. And you know, look, I think that you know we've heard that before, and it's very flattering. But you know, look, I think that we had the opportunity, and as, as Rick likes to say, a particular set of skills. Right. That, that, you know, would otherwise be on the sidelines here. Um, yeah. And I, and I think the other part, too, is that, you know, look, I grew up in the Republican Party. Um, you know, uh, you know, you guys, you know, have worked on the Democratic side your, most of your careers. Right. Like I grew up at the NRCC, literally. Right. That's like where I went right. on the weekends and during summer vacation. So for me, you know, and, you know, in my dad, Rich Galen, who, you, guys, you know, you guys. Great vacation. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I mean, this, right. it probably it probably explains a lot about why I am what, the way I am. But um, <laughs> but, you know, it also, I think, is a, you know, a real testament to, you know, when I was a kid, you know, six, seven years old, like the Republicans were in the minority. It looked like we were going to be in the minority forever. Um, and, you know, it was like, OK, we're going to do the best we can. But, you know, there was a there was a sense of hope and optimism right within the party that, like, you know, everybody wanted you know, the American people to move forward, the American people to be better. It, it was more of a it was more of an argument about the methodology or the, the, the path you were going to take to get there, not necessarily whether or not you wanted all Americans to be better. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's just it's been a it's been a huge thing, um, you know, to see that transformation. The other part I, I would say that is hugely helpful is that none of us live in Washington, D.C. Uh, and most of us haven't lived there for many, many years, if ever. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a much different thing when, you you know, you can sit 2,000, 2,500 miles away 
and sort of, you know, watch the freak show from, from a distance. You know, I don't watch cable news, right? I don't do any of that stuff. Um, I don't think the rest of us do too. We probably all spend too much time on Twitter, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a hazard of the job. And so I think that, you know, if we did live in DC, you're absolutely right. You know, if we were part of the environment of the ecosystem where, you know, maybe not now, but, you know, in, on an, in a normal time, you'd go to dinner and you'd see these people, right? You'd go to, you'd go to lunch or you'd go have drinks or whatever, and you might see these folks. So there might be a real interpersonal issue. So I think having been outside of DC for as long as we have has been both good economically because we're not tied to anything in Washington. But I also think it gives us a perspective, which is not, you know, you know, did it happen on CNN this morning? Because if it didn't happen on CNN, then in my world, it didn't happen. Uh, whereas we know that at any given time, you know, there's 319 million Americans doing something other than watching cable news, right? So I think that being outside that, that bubble has been hugely helpful, I think, also to the sensibility of what we're doing. Right. Let me ask a quick question. Uh, you mentioned siphoning off about 2 to 3% of the uh of vote of the GOP vote uh take us through tactically how you're going to do that you mentioned you guys have a particular set of skills what exactly is the Lincoln project going to do over the course of this campaign you know in terms of advertising polling digital stuff organizing just curious on sort of what the battle plan looks like well, I mean, you know, it's a good question. And I think one that, you know, as, as you were discussing at the top, having a candidate that you're now, you know, having his wife or daughter or somebody direct him on, you know, how to how to hold his iPhone or the lighting. Um, I think that, you know, the the plans that we had in place, you know, prior to March 1st um, are different than they, you know, than they are today. Um, you know, we at the end of February, we were lucky enough to be invited up to New York City to um speak at the Great Hall of the Cooper Union, where uh, Abraham Lincoln had given his uh, right makes might speech in 1860, which obviously is our namesake and our inspiration was a, was a big deal. And for so many of us being history nerds, being able to speak at the same lectern he did was really a neat thing. Um, but now, you know, we, and we were going to take that on the road. So now instead of taking that on the road, we have to figure out, okay, how do we uh, you know, host virtual town halls on Facebook or YouTube or, or you know, all the, the those things, you know, are we going to do it by county? Are we going to do it by state? You know, how do we make sure all of these things are, you know, um, doable so that, you know, we can have two or three people participating and everybody, you know, the thousands of people we hope would be watching can see us and, you know, interact and all those other things. So I think that we're, we're dealing with a little bit of the the tactical issues that everybody else are. I think that messaging wise though, you know, we've been in this, you know, since we started and we're, we're now shifting, we're adding, I would say, uh, capacity and capability to what we're doing. We've been in this flywheel where, you know, uh, our activity has driven attention, uh, which has driven numbers and everything else. And so I think now what we're going to do is we'll keep that in place because it's good for fundraising. Um, it is good for attention with the media. It is good for, you know, attention with the president and his people and these Senate candidates. And now we will start to turn to these states where we will, you know, start looking at the things that are specifically um, moving Republican voters. I think one thing we've seen in the research, again, is that, you know, um, everybody knows that Donald Trump is a jerk. Um, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time on that. The people that don't like him know it. The people that don't care know it. And the people that like him like him because he's a jerk. And so, you know, there's only so much pushing on that door that does any good. And so I think it's really about finding specific, tangible and data driven elements to how the, how the president has failed 
um, you know, in, in this time before it was going to be whether or not it was, you know, taking money from the military for the wall, whether or not it was farm bankruptcies and, you know, big ag bailouts, you know, the other things that you could really point to from a policy perspective that in research we saw moved Republican voters because, frankly, that that's the one thing that we should never forget is that a lot of the stuff that, that we all focus on, um, you know, from a political and a policy perspective does not, you know, does not affect the daily lives of, you know, someone living in, in Kansas City, right? Um, it does now because it's literally a life or death thing. But prior to all this, it was, you know, what was going on at KU with basketball, uh, what was going on with the Chiefs, you know, there was Little League, there was a mayor scandal, whatever it was. And so, you know, what we really are going to focus on, and I think this is the other part of the particular set of skills thing, is that because we have guys like Conway and Schmidt and Wilson uh, and, and everybody on our team, you know, is, is savvy with the media, has done a lot of writing, has done a lot of television, uh, is that we can drive our media, um, you know, in a way that most super PACs either can't or won't simply because if we put Schmidt on Kansas City television or Wilson on Milwaukee television, you know, they're going to drive, they're going to drive numbers. They're going to drive more attention and more awareness uh, where, you know, the average super PACs dropping an ad, they're putting some points behind it, whatever. Um, you know, so we, we have that ability, I think, and that's probably our, our unique um, and, you know, added, you know, our, our force multipliers that we have folks for whom uh, so many thousands. And if you look just on Twitter, which I already said is not the real world, um, you know, millions of followers and not only millions of followers, but they're rabid. And when we ask them to do things, they do it. And that helps us jump that air gap from sort of the Twitter sphere to the real world. Um, Reed, can you talk a little bit about the messaging that is working for, or at least at this point is working for the target demographic that the Lincoln Project is focused on? I mean, you know, I, I think sometimes when you guys have put out some really amazing, I said you guys, I guess I should say we, the Lincoln Project has put out mm -hmm. a lot of really um, provocative ads, which um, mm -hmm. has, has drawn a lot of attention, which is amazing. But still, ultimately, at the end of the day, you guys are, are kind of um, straddling the fact that you're trying to get ads produced that break through this mm -hmm. very crowded, cluttered media environment. But you're also trying to use messaging tactics that apply to that, you know, very small percentage of Republicans and independents who voted for Trump in 2016, but we hope will vote for the Democratic nominee in 2020. Can you sort of talk mm -hmm. about some of the buzzwords or some of the, um, you know, some, some of the um, messaging, uh, you know, narratives that are working right now um, in that target, to that target demographic? Um, yeah, sure. Again, I think that, you know, just with the, with the codicil that all of this has just changed so drastically in the last three to four weeks. Um, and where you've seen, uh, and even within the, even within the coronavirus uh, message set, as I'm sure you all have seen too, has changed in the last week or 10 days, right? So I think that, that what we're trying to do is, you know, at a very broad level, and again, I think this has to be um, direct, you know, what we've seen, our, our best messaging is direct, it's assertive, it's edgy enough, as you said, Adrian, to, get, to garner attention, um, but it really has to be driven by facts. If it's simply saying Donald Trump is a real asshole, right, then a lot of Republicans and independents just put their shields up because it's like, I've heard it before. I don't want to hear it again. Um, but if you say, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, had no experience. He wasn't fit for office when he got there. You know, he was a reaction to X, Y and Z. And now we're seeing what the reality show presidency, is, you know, has, has come to. 
um, you know, and you start to point out again specific data-driven items in a in an almost dispassionate fashion, right? Laying out the facts. We found that that seems seems to be with with voters, right? I'm not talking about people in Washington or in the media or whatever, but with voters, that tends to be far more effective. Again, because there has been an information gap, or in some cases, an information vacuum, where a lot of the stuff that he does, you know, is is stuck up in the, you know, in the sort of reality distortion field that he's created for himself the whole life. And so you have to be able to break out of that and break away from it and get down into those states and those counties that we all know are going to matter. And so I think that as we go forward here, you look, you've seen just in the last week, um, you know, I think that, and Adrian, we were talking about this the other day in that, in that navigator survey, you know, last week, 23% of Republicans were troubled by how Trump is handling the coronavirus thing. And that spiked by 17 points to 40% this week. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of stuff where, you know, we are able to make use of that simply because the one thing we know is, is you know, the ironic part of this is the one constant in all of these, this equation is that Donald Trump's not going to stop being who he is. And he's not going to stop being the, the, you know, the person who is unable and unwilling to look past his own self-interest. Uh, to put the country, you know, first or frankly, even second. Um, and so I think what we're seeing is that he, as he goes out and he does this, you know, daily uh, clown show every afternoon, um, that is starting to have a real effect. And I think that it, it is, you know, as someone said, you know, when your opponent is self-destructing, don't get in their way. Uh, and so there's some that, you know, we're going to let him go off and do the things he's going to do. Um, there are things that we're going to point out about, you know, his his lack of preparedness, his lack of taking this seriously. Um, and then so there's some things we'll do prospectively because we know at the end of the day, right, this guy's going to claim victory, right, whether or not it's 50,000 Americans who die or 500,000 Americans who die. You know, Donald Trump only sees himself as the winner and can't see himself as anything else. And so, you know, we will go through methodically, I think, over the course of the next six or eight weeks and start to make that case. I think the other part, too, is, you know, I've heard from friends on both the Democratic and Republican side of the aisle that a lot of these campaigns, you know, not necessarily for president, but for for other, you know, races across the country are basically shut down till June, you know, whether or not it's a, an excuse for like a Martha McSally to not raise money and not campaign because she's a bad candidate or because there's no way to cut through the noise. Um, but we know that Donald Trump isn't going to stop, right? He's going to keep doing what he's going to do. He's going to keep tweeting. He's, you know, his campaign, you know, in the last two or three weeks, you know, they called, you know, Joe Biden's campaign, a, a you know, a dead corpse, you know, they've come after him in all sorts of ways. And so, you know, his, his, his politics does not stop, and nor will ours. And so I would say that between, you know, now and probably, you know, early, mid-June, there will be a vacuum in which, you know, someone must be filling the, you know, the, the anti-Trump, the Trump opposition uh, space. And, and we see our, our role is, is very important in helping do that. Hey, Reed, uh, take us through your advertising campaign. I, I actually, I, I like uh, a lot of the, the spots I've seen, both your ads, traditional ads, and some of your longer form videos. Mm -hmm. well, are, are they, um, I, 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 assume, I know they were running some places on cable, um, I, but uh, are there any particular ones that you, you really like? And what are the sort of, what is the kind of the connecting thread that each of them has that, um, makes the case against Trump? So I think it's, um, 
It's been a couple of things. I think the three ads that we've seen that have gotten the most pickup are um, the first one we put out, which was called the MAGA Church, um, which was really, and that was, you know, we put that out late December, early January, and that was really an exposition of just how corrupt these, the, the evangel, not the evangelical voters, but the evangelical leaders are. Um, you know, they're willing to say and do anything for a guy who, you know, if he's ever stepped foot in church, uh, it was an accident. He's lucky he didn't get struck by lightning. Um, <laughs> then we we had an ad um, about Jared and Ivanka and about how basically, you know, the, the whole Trump presidency has been, um, you know, aside from all the other disastrous things it's been, it's also been just a way for, you know, Trump and his family and, you know, the Jared Kushner's of the world to further feathering their nests. And if, if you haven't watched the uh, Dirty Money segment on Netflix about the Kushner companies. I, I highly recommend it. Um, and then our last one, most re- you know, more recent one was called uh, Virus. And that was uh, just a, a straight takeoff of the 1984 Reagan bear ad, bear in the woods ad, which was, um, you know, saying that, you know, this obviously during the Cold War that a lot of people and uh, plenty of Democrats, especially Walter Mondale in that case, um, you know, we're not taking the Soviet threat seriously enough. And, you know, so we were we were playing off of that. And those got massive reaction, both from the folks that support us and from our opponents. And the more that our opponents get angry, the more we're, we know we're over the target. And so I think that's really what we're trying to do is finding a way, at least in these early times when we are, you know, still getting our pieces in place, like I think all campaigns are, to make sure that we're ready for the next six weeks and then the next five months. Uh, making sure that we're always, you know, on target, that we are always, you know, again, being assertive in our messaging and not pulling any punches. And so I think that, you know, what we'll see now is that because it's nearly impossible to keep up with the with the uh, news cycle at this point, right, um, that what we what we plan to do is is, you know, tell a story of America, you know, after this is over. Um, an America that, you know, is being ravaged by this because, you know, that, you know, Donald Trump was who so many of us thought he was, right? Um, and that's coming back to bite us as a country. And that, you know, another four years of him, you know, leads to further death, further economic destruction, and further, I think, you know, from our perspective as, you know, not only former Republicans, but also sort of, you know, political nerds, um, you know, a further diminution of the of the institutions of the republic. So I think that you'll see a broad swath of things that are, you know, some will be, a lot of it will, will be very hard hitting. Uh, some of it will be, I think, more perspective in nature, and some of it will, you know, speak to sort of the heart and soul of America. So as we go forward here, I think that, you know, you'll start to see those things. So, so Reed, I just want to, um, again, you know, I, I know you've talked a lot about ta- tactics, and I'm certainly not asking you to give away the full playbook of the Lincoln Project, but are you finding that it's difficult to break through in this environment? Like, do you feel that the ads the Lincoln Project is producing and, um, you know, the way you're distributing those ads, you know, obviously the Lincoln Project on Twitter has a lot of Twitter followers that help the fact that Steve Schmidt, George Conway, um, you know, Rick Wilson, John Weaver, they all have a lot of Twitter followers, and that's great because they're able to really um, hit a lot of people when they're t- sending these out. But you also made the point that, you know, a majority of Americans, or not even close to a majority of Americans, get their information on Twitter. Like, are you finding it hard to distribute these ads and get the message across in these crowded media times? Um, I would say that, again, you know, based on the, the preamble you put there, I mean, that has made it more doable and nothing is easy. 
Um, but having these folks and the, the ability for these folks to, again, drive messaging on their own, right, has been, I think, a huge to us. I think you, you, we've seen that in our really, you know, mo the vast majority of our growth, both, uh, uh, you know, on the grassroots front and financially has been organic, right? This is, the, these folks have come to us. You know, we did a call with uh, about 2,000 of our supporters a couple of weeks ago. And one thing that we got an email from one of them and, and you know, uh, I don't know, six, eight, ten people asked questions. And the one thing that they noted was they said, you know, everybody referred to it as we, right? Not not us, but the folks who were on the call who were asking the questions, what are we going to do? Right. What are we going to do? And so I think that there's a real, you know, piece of ownership there uh, that I think is hugely helpful because folks, you know, came to us, you know, we we don't spend money on, you know, online conversions, at least not yet. Uh, because folks are coming up, they're coming to us, you know, voluntarily. So that sort of conversion is huge for us. Um, and I think that there'll be a couple of ways to break through as we go forward here. Again, we have these folks, you know, many of them are, you know, in the bigger states, not surprisingly, but we have surprising numbers in our target states, you know, both in the electoral sense and the Senate sense. So I think that'll help. Um, but again, I think that, again, what we will do is, you know, we will we will use our messages to, our, excuse me, our ads to drive the narrative, not to follow the narrative, um, because we believe that you know, as we go forward here, that that messages are going to drive, um, you know, the numbers, you know, in in Michigan or Pennsylvania, wherever it is, uh, and then we will utilize our ability to organically push those things out, like most campaigns would like to do, but also again use our, you know, the folks that we have on board to do the things that only they can do, right? And that's, I think, again, where, you know, we can not only, you know, put X dollars on the air, but we can get Y dollars more pickup of it because, you know, Rick won on, you know, KC whatever, you know, in, in Milwaukee or in Green Bay uh, because, you know, these folks have been covering coronavirus now for a month. And so as the, as the campaign heats up, you know, they'll be looking for more content. They'll be looking for more people to come in and talk about what's going on. And so I think that that's, you know, going to help us break through. And then again, look, there's, you know, look, as you all know, there's only so many tactics in the toolbox, right? And so we'll utilize the, the ones that we are best at. Um, we will not try and be all things to all people. And I think that's another thing, just as an aside, is, you know, as we go forward here, remember that the, the other unique ability we have is to speak to Republican voters in a language that they understand and accept and with iconography that is, you know, very meaningful to them. And so as we go forward, you know, sometimes, you know, the folks on Twitter, you know, we have a lot of Democratic friends, a lot of Democratic supporters are going to say, well, why did you do something like that? Well, because, you know, it's not necessarily for uh, a Democratic voter in, you know, downtown Philadelphia. It's for a Republican voter in Bucks County, if that makes sense. And so I think always understanding that, that our perspective is that we understand who these voters are. We understand what they're looking for. We understand their sensibilities. And we're going to utilize that knowledge and that and those skills that all of us have built up over now decades, which is hard to believe, uh, to really drive those voters, you know, away from Trump and, you know, to Biden or whoever it's going to be. Reid, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It's been um, very uh, informative to learn about the Lincoln Project. Uh, for our listeners, where should they go to learn about the Lincoln Project? Uh, what is your Twitter handle? How can they support you all, donate, et cetera? Sure. So our website is lincolnproject.us. Um, you can find all the information there, or we're on Twitter at Project Lincoln. 
Um, and, you know, so, yeah, that, those are the two best places you can find us. Obviously, we're on Facebook and, and, every, and I think we're on Instagram. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, Instagram and all that stuff. I'm only 40. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 44, but it all seems so foreign to me. So, um, but, yeah, you know, all the standard digital outlets. And, yeah, you know, please sign up. Please learn more about what we're doing. If you, if you live in one of these states and you want to help out, you know, uh, sign up, let us know uh, that you're willing to help. And, uh, you know, we'll certainly be out there more. And, and you'll hear a lot, you know, from us between now and November 3rd. Reed, thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Stay safe and healthy. No, and Glad thank you guys. And thanks City. for having me. Appreciate all your help. Thank you so much. Reed Galen from the Lincoln Project. Uh, please follow them. Please uh, keep up to date with what they're doing. Uh, for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Adrian, I miss seeing you. I hope you, you're, you and your family stay safe uh, out in Arkansas. Uh, this is Doug Thornell. Uh, this has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time.